0: Since you're the kind of person who hangs around a seminary, the chances are great that you would say you're really not all that interested in power. (laughs) If that's what you wanted, you would have gone to law school or business school, but no, you're a seminarian. Now you may be interested in being trained to provide a critique of power or to speak truth to power, or to ensure that there are good checks and balances of power, but you just want to be a humble servant without a lot of needs for power. Well, according to the first chapter of Acts, Jesus is not impressed by that humility. He says, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. It's not like this is an elective course. <laughs> this, is, this is the core curriculum. You will have power. Now let's sort through exactly what kind of power Jesus is talking about. It's different from what we normally think about. Most of our notions of power in our society are derived, derived from somebody else. You get power from the people who elect you, or hire you, or appoint you, or just loan the power to you for a while. For example, when a babysitter is successful in getting the children to go to sleep at night, it's not because of the inherent power of a 14-year-old, It's because the children know that there will be a conversation at the end of the evening with their parents. It's derived power. That's normally how we think about power. You get it from somebody else, but that means you can also lose it. So all power in our society is fundamentally borrowed, and it makes us anxious. We know that if we have it for a while, that we can lose it, you can not get elected, you can lose your job. You can move to a new place where you have no social capital, like, oh, let's say seminary, and nobody knows you. And all the relationships you had don't really mean that much here, you feel powerless. You can do something to offend your candidates' committee for ordination, and (laughs) there goes your power. So we're anxious about power. We've seen abuses of power. We don't want to abuse other people, so we don't want it. And we know that even if you do have it, you don't get to have it for long, so we'd just rather step away from the whole thing. It's not at all what Jesus is talking about when he promises that you shall have power. He's talking about the power that comes at Pentecost, a power that wells up from your soul as it did the first disciples, a power that pushes you out into the world, inflaming you with passion, giving you the ability to do things you did not know you could do, speak languages you did not know you could speak, a power that transforms you from being simply a disciple who thought you would spend some time studying Jesus, like they did, interestingly, for three years, like many of us, to now being an apostle who is sent out to every end of the earth. This isn't derived power. This is charismatic power that again, wells up from within you and therefore, it can never be taken away. Notice to whom Jesus gives this power when he presents the Great Commission. Gives it to a bunch of people who have, at best, meager educations, to tax collectors and sinners, and fishermen, who, by the way, weren't even very good fishermen. <laughs> every, have you ever noticed every time you see them fishing in the Gospels, they're never catching fish? He <laughs> gives the power to women who have no voice in their society. And these are the people who are empowered to take the Holy Gospel to the ends of the earth. Along the way, they keep meeting up with resistance from those who had derived power, religious authorities and political authorities. And every time they ran into this resistance, the question was always the same. By whose authority are you doing these things? And they essentially keep responding by saying, it's not the right question. We can't help but do what we have been called to do by the Holy Spirit. Why does the Apostle Paul insist on speaking to Caesar? Because he is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. 400 years later, Filled with the Holy Spirit, Pope Leo goes to the gates of Rome and talks Attila the Hun out of sacking the city. Who could do that? Who could stand up to Attila the Hun? Only someone filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. In the 13th century, Francis found himself before the bishop because his father had dragged him there to demand that the bishop instruct Francis to stop giving away all the family's money to the church. So Francis took his clothes off, right there in front of the bishop, handed them back to the father and said, now I am free to say the Our Father prayer. Who would do that? Who would initiate something like the Franciscan movement of So, Only one filled with this different understanding of power, the power of the spirit. In the 14th century, John Huss continued to preach filled in the power of the Holy Spirit even while they were burning him at the stake. The 16th century, Luther knew he was at a defining moment, what we now call a reformation, where he says, here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. It's a whole different understanding of power to use those kind of words. In the 19th century, Sojourner Tooth was... Truth was going to speak on abolition at a lecture hall in Ohio when she was told that rebel sympathizers threatened to burn the lecture hall down as she came and filled with the Holy Spirit she said, let them burn it and I will preach upon the ashes. The 20th century Bonhoeffer was filled with the power of the Spirit when he chose not only to step away from fascism, but to actively resist it. Also in the 20th century, Cesar Chavez was filled with the Holy Spirit when he inspired despairing and and powerless migrant workers by saying, we can organize, and he pulls together the United Farm Workers Association developing a slogan that has actually persevered even to the current administration. Si se puede. Si se puede, yes, it can be done. Or as we now say, yes, we can. None of these people had derived power. All of it emerged from the spirit in their souls. And now we come to you and to your moment in history to your baptism in the power of the Holy Spirit, to your call to take the gospel to your end of the earth. How will you do that? How will you find this charismatic power that cannot be stopped? I think you find it the exact same way the first disciples found it. Right after receiving this great commission, what do they do? they go running down the Mount of Olives and say, let's go get them? No, they, they go to an upper room. And they devote themselves to prayer. That's how you find this world defined power. They devoted themselves to prayer. They did not go to the upper room and start to figure out, okay, let's see, I think we should have maybe four Gospels. Who's gonna write these? (laughs) They didn't figure out who would be the mysterious Mr. Q. (sighs) All of that comes later. At this point, they know that what they have to do is to devote themselves to prayer. To be devoted to prayer is not to pray for its instrumental benefits. It's not to say simply, oh God, I need this, oh help me, help me, help me, or how about one of those. To devote yourself to prayer is to commit yourself to simply being in communion with God. To be in prayer with God simply because the company is so good. You're in communion with God. That's how you find The power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that the person who's not in this upper room is Judas Iscariot. He was in that other upper room, and maybe this was even the same one. We don't know if these are different upper rooms. But he was in that first time of the upper room, and you remember he left the room too soon. And he ends up betraying Jesus. Don't leave the upper room ever. There's an upper room in your heart. Return to it all the time. A place where you devote yourself to prayer. We're told that these 11 remaining disciples were there. Certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Pentecost doesn't happen until after this season of being devoted to prayer. Now, all of these people who were in that upper room knew Jesus a lot better than any of us are ever gonna know him. So, if Mary, the blessed virgin mother of Jesus, had to devote herself to prayer, (laughs) the chances are great that you and I need to do this as well. How else will we find this holy communion that provides the power, the charismatic power to fulfill our mission? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.